Hello and welcome to Family Room Discussions, where you invite me, Dalton Anderson, to your Come Follow Me study, and we discuss ideas, questions, and insights to the week's lesson. Let me be clear, I am not a church historian or a scripture scholar. I am your average saint trying to build my faith in Christ and deepen my testimony of the gospel and the scriptures, and I have found that by discussing Come Follow Me with others, it helps me to do just that. My sincere hope is that for those struggling to study Come Follow Me for whatever reason, maybe because you're single and you don't have others to study with, or like me, your kids are still too young to understand English, or really for any other reason, that you will allow me to join your family for about 30 minutes to help with that gospel dialogue. With that, let's start this family room discussion. Brothers and sisters, family and friends, this is episode 43, following along with lesson 41, 3 Nephi chapters 27 to 4 Nephi. And in the introduction it reads, The teachings of Jesus Christ are not just a beautiful philosophy to ponder. They are much more than that. They are meant to change our lives. It was that sentence right there that actually set the foundation for the way I looked at this, this lesson and really impacted me. Normally when I'm studying, I'm thinking, what could I share? Um... Like what insights am I gaining to be able to either share for the podcast or share with my family, things like that. Now I'm still looking at it as how can I be changing my life, but there is an emphasis on what can I be doing to share with others. And so this really stopped me and made me ponder, no, how specifically am I using this to change my life, to get better, to come closer to Christ and to strengthen my testimony? So I think it's important that you understand the paradigm that I was looking at this lesson with um, so that you can understand where my thoughts came from. And hopefully be able to impact uh, the discussion that we have right now. Continuing on, the book of 4th Nephi provides a stunning example of this illustrating just how thoroughly the Savior's gospel can transform a people. Following Jesus' brief ministry, centuries of contention between the Nephites and the Lamanites came to an end. Two nations known for dissension and pride became one, the children of Christ, and they began to have all things common among them. The love of God did dwell in the hearts of the people, and there could not be a happier people among all the people who had been created by the hand of God. This is how the Savior's teachings changed the Nephites and the Lamanites. How are they changing you? And once again, concluding with that, how is it changing you? It hit me hard. It's not asking how could it change others? How could it, you know, how could it change those people who I'm dealing with, uh, you know, in, in random interactions or whatnot, who I'm like, man, they need some Jesus in their life. It's not asking me that. It's asking me, how is the gospel changing me? And and what am I doing to come closer to Christ? That's super important. And, and this stuck out because, so when I was going on my mission, someone gave me a talk from, uh, from Elder Holland that he gave in the MTC a year before I went in. So this was in 2011 that he gave this uh, devotional. And he told the missionaries that a concern that the brethren had was that they would send these missionaries out to teach the gospel for two years or 18 months. And then they'd come home and like, I want to say he said almost 50% of missionaries would return and be inactive within the year. And that was a huge concern. And he said, how could, how is it that we are sending these young people out into the field to teach the gospel? They're having, they're having miracles happen in their life and the life of, lives of investigators. They're bringing others to the fold of God and then they come home and then they just, they just leave the truth that they had taught for two years or 18 months. And he said that, and this is where Preach My Gospel came in and why it was so important, is that they realized there was a disconnect that you were, that uh, like a missionary could go out, teach the gospel and help others on the path to conversion and yet never enter that path for themselves. And that stuck with me. That hit me hard. And it still hits me hard. I still think about that. 
is that it is possible to be trying to help others, trying to be a missionary, trying to bring others unto Christ. But then if you're not following the same pattern that you're teaching and preaching for yourself, you are missing out on the whole point of of the gospel. You're not actually partaking of the fruit at all. You're just trying to bring others to the fruit. <laughs> it's like, let me guide you to the tree and then I'm going to bounce and not be a partaker myself. And so I don't want to fall into that trap. I think that's where we need to shift priority is that priority should always be on our own conversion. It's kind of like in an airplane, right? When uh, they do those trainings on the oxygen masks, in case of an emergency, the oxygen mask will fall from the ceiling. Make sure to help yourself before helping those around you. And that's true. I think that's how the gospel should be. It's intended to be is that we need to focus. I mean, Christ said as much. Remove the moat, or is it the beam, moat, beam? I think it's the beam from your own eye before you can remove the moat from someone else's eye. Whatever it is, you you know what I'm saying. And I think that's where the the focus and emphasis needs, needs to be. So that hit me hard as I was studying this lesson and just twice it was like simple questions, but how is the gospel changing you? And I was like, huh. So I've been doing a lot of pondering about just this year, how much has the gospel been changing my life? And Several things happened this week that um, I will be able to discuss in in further detail in a couple in a couple episodes. But just I, I had a great reason to get on my knees and give thanks to the Lord for for all the blessings that He's given me in my life. But that I think more importantly for me, what hit me hard was that He He knows me on a very personal and intimate level. And he does hear my prayers, even when I feel like he's not, like my prayers aren't making it. It's almost like it's getting stuck and it's getting stuck in reception. And I've, I've been on hold for months. Um, turns out, turns out, no, I may have had him on hold <laughs> for months. And so I'm just in- incredibly grateful. And like I said, I, I will be able to discuss more about what that process looked like for me in a couple weeks. In the first section, ideas for personal scripture study, and in the first chunk, the church of Jesus Christ is called in his name. As the Savior's disciples began establishing his church throughout the land, a question arose that to some might seem like a minor point. What should be the name of the church? What do you learn about the importance of the, this name from the Savior's answer in 3 Nephi 27, 4-12? And actually, I'm going to stop right there because the scripture that stood out from that specific reading uh, was in verse 4. And the Lord said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, why is it that the people should murmur and dispute because of this thing? Um, So this doesn't necessarily answer that question. However, I think that's probably how the Lord looks at most of our disputes amongst ourselves. Um, Like, I just really think it's more of like, why, why are you even arguing over this? Have you not, have you not studied? Have you not learned? Have you not? Pre- and then he gives the answer. So continuing on, it says, In 1838, the Lord revealed the name of his church today. Ponder each word in that name. How do these words help us to know who we are, what we believe, and how we should act? Then it talk- And then it gives reference to President Russell M. Nelson's talk, The Correct Name of the Church, which was given in the October conference in 2018. And there's a specific part in that that I want to share with you now and, and uh, bring back up. Let me explain why we care so deeply about this issue. But first, let me state what this effort is not. 
It is not a name change. It is not rebranding. It is not cosmetic. It is not a whim. And it is not inconsequential. Instead, it is a correction. It is the command of the Lord. I love that. I love how he emphasizes that it is not a name change. It is not rebranding. It is not cosmetic. It is not a whim. And most importantly, it is not inconsequential. It is a correction. I don't know exactly why God gave President Nelson that that revelation at that time to make that correction. Um, I do have some thoughts, though. One of them is that people still don't don't know that we're Christian. There's a lot of people that still have the misconception that we are not Christians. And I was listening to a podcast a couple weeks ago from the Babylon Bee, which is a satirical, um, I mean, they, they do like podcasts and social media posts and stuff like that. I don't know what, what I like refer to them as. But anyway, I was listening to this podcast and they start talking about Mormons and how it was pretty clear that they believe that we don't believe in Jesus Christ. I was like, how do you, how do you not know? I'm like, did you not do your homework? And, um, no, but it's, and, and like I said, they, they referenced us as, as Mormons the whole time. So they clearly hadn't heard president Nelson's talk. Gosh, rookies. Um, no, but I think that's, that's something that I don't, I, I really don't see a lot of because I live in Utah is that there are many that don't think that we're Christians. And I think that's important, right? It's because if we refer to ourselves as Mormons or LDS or all the nicknames that we have, for those that that don't know and who probably aren't going to ask questions of like, what is LDS, then they're never going to learn, oh, we're believers in Christ. We're followers of Christ. So making that emphasis is, to me, actually really important. And so I've I've really taken that on and committed to being good about referring to the proper proper name and more importantly i think in the scriptures it talks about how in the final days it'll be those who you know all things are done through christ's name so it's not going to be through mormon's name mormon was a great prophet but he's not he's not who we follow we follow christ and i think it is truly important so um, I also think that Satan, with all his tools in his toolbox, loves if we would use nicknames because then he's able to sow even the smallest seed of doubt in others and help to steer others away from learning and, and following after Christ. So anything that we can do to button that up and really make it as hard as possible for Satan to be able to tempt anyone, I mean, that's the job of followers of Christ and disciples. And, and honestly, here's something that I've been thinking about. If we're at the point where we are making sure to, to really get that name perfectly correct and, and all the details that go into our worship, we've got to be close to Christ's second coming when we present the keys of the kingdom back and he rules. Because, I mean, there was a lot of drastic changes that happened in the course of the restoration, right? And then now we're having a big announcement about, I mean, we're, you know, getting a talk about how we need to put emphasis on the correct name of the church, which 
maybe in your life is a minor thing. But like I said, if we're at that point, that says a lot to me about where we're at in the timeline of, of Christ's return. And the next chunk, as I purify my desires, I become a more faithful disciple. What would you say if the Savior asked you as he asked his disciples, what is it that you desire of me? Think about this as you read about the experience of the Savior's disciples in 3 Nephi 28, 1-11. What do you learn about the desires of the disciples' hearts from their answers to his question? President Dallin H. Oaks taught, to achieve our eternal destiny, we will desire and work for the qualities required to become an eternal being. We will desire to become like Jesus Christ. What can you do to make the desires of your heart more righteous? And so I, that, I stopped there and thought about that. It, uh, I think my desires have shifted and changed over time, and they will continue to do so as I work on my prayers, for instance, and as I pray to have the Holy Ghost to be with me as I pray. I've really seen a change in what I pray for. I notice that I have prayed less and less for selfish desires. Um, I pray more and more for the Lord's will. And then I've worked on truly wanting that because it, it can be difficult to know that sometimes what you want really bad isn't what the Lord wants for you at that time. And that can be super tough. <laughs> Believe me, that can be crazy tough. Um, I think of my, my, I think of those that I'm super close to who have had desires even greater than my own, um, like wanting kids, right? Like it's not easy for everyone to have kids and some people don't, don't have the opportunity to have children of their own. And you know, it's, it's like you stop and you ask, so why is God not granting that desire? Why is it that something so righteous isn't given to those people? Especially when there are people out there who, it's like, why in the world did God let them be parents? And I'm not, I'm not making judgments, but there are definitely those parents out there, <laughs> you know? And it's um, like, I don't know. I don't have the answers for that. I can't even answer that in my own life. What I do know and what I do have faith in, though, is that God knows exactly what each of us needs. And often it's not what we want. Sometimes it is though. That's that's the good part, right? Sometimes it truly is what we what we want. But I have found great joy and peace in my life as I have changed and tr tried working on the desires of my heart to align with God's. And then it ends up becoming something I actually want, right? And and often as the case has been, I found that my lack of maturity actually would have led me to to desire and want something that later on I would have been like, why did I want this? Uh, like in dating, back in the, back, yeah, I, forever ago, feels like I've been married forever because every day with my life is like, it's like an eternal bliss. Um, but no, like forever ago when I was dating, right, there was girls that I'd be dating who I was like, this is who I want to marry. And, and that, all great people, all great, all great women who are leading successful lives. And I hope, I truly hope and want the best for them because I was blessed to be able to have those individuals in my life at the time they were in them. But, um, yeah, with, with wisdom and, you know, hindsight 2020, just not the year, but the actual vision, right? Uh, <laughs> like I'm incredibly grateful that God didn't answer my prayers when I prayed that 
that like that particular individual or individuals would be my eternal companion. And that when Alexis came into my life, he did answer that prayer because I mean, she, she is everything that I could possibly want and need out of an eternal companion. She is the perfect compliment to me. And if I would have gotten my first or second or third prayer, then I never would have understood exactly who I needed to help me to become all that God expects me to be. So that's just one example, right? But I can think of several where that, whether it was a job that I didn't get or, uh, nope, that's it. Just apparently just dating and jobs. I guess <laughs> that's the only thing I've ever desired. Uh, yeah, no, that's literally all I can think of right now. Well, I'm sure you could think of some on your own. Because like I said, you, you, you think for yourself. All right, so the next chunk, conversion to Jesus Christ. Uh, conversion to Jesus Christ and his gospel leads to unity and happiness. Can you imagine what it would have been like to live in the years following the Savior's visit? How did the people maintain this divine peace for so long, nearly 200 years? As you study 4th Nephi 1-18, consider marking or noting the choices that people made in order to experience this blessed life. Ponder what you can do to help your family, ward, or community live in greater unity and happiness as the people in 4th Nephi did. What teachings of Jesus Christ can you live more fully in order to accomplish this goal? And what can you do to help others understand and live these teachings? Now notice that it did not say, what could your neighbors do to more <laughs> to more fully live the gospel? It said, what can you do to help your family, ward, or community? We cannot control the actions of others as great as it would be. And there are many out there who would love to be able to take control of others' agencies. That is not us. As followers and disciples of Christ, we do not seek to take control of others' agency. But what we can do as disciples of Christ is influence for good our family, our ward, and our community. So some of the scriptures that stuck out to me on how to do so, or at least lessons that I learned from this, was uh, first in verse 2, and it came to pass in the third and sixth year, the people were all converted unto the Lord upon all the face of the land, both Nephites and Lamanites, and there were no contentions and disputations among them. And every man did deal justly one with another. And they had all things, this is verse 3, and they had all things common among them. Therefore, they were not rich and poor, poor, bond and free, but they were all made free and partakers of the heavenly gift. How did they accomplish this? How did they make this happen? Now, I think there are a lot, there are many of us and, and many in the world who assume that the role of government should be to fulfill uh, this utopian life. And it's funny to me, though, is that what I see is our political system. Uh, there's a lot of contention in politics. I shouldn't say our political system because it's fantastic. But in politics in general, right, there's a lot of contention because we all have kind of different visions and views of what we could enact or enable to be able to, to reach that utopian goal. So I don't believe that it should be the role of government to create the utopian, but rather the role of government, and this is what the Founding Fathers believed, that the role of government should be to maintain the rights, liberties, and freedoms of the people, and then step back and allow the people to be able to create that utopian ideal. I believe that's exactly what happened here in 4th Nephi. They, they were less focused on the governmental system they were doing. The reason I say that is because, if you think about it, through the entire Book of Mormon, Thus far, it has dealt with governmental systems. They had a king in Nephi. Um, they had judges and chief judges, right? 
And then they had tribes where, I mean, right before Christ comes, they had, you know, the government pretty much disbands and everyone's like in these big family tribal groups. And then in 4th Nephi, you don't really hear too much about government at all. You just hear about how they were living and then how they fell apart. And then all of a sudden it breaks into um, a political entity and they, you know, they start separating themselves. So that's where I kind of get that thought is that it's not um, the government's job to, to make this utopian society, but it's our job as people with our relationships one with another to be able to create this society. I believe that we can do so as we truly follow Christ's teachings and help others uh, not seeking to like you know if only you would do this then we could be happy that's that's not how that works um, but as we be examples and as we love others and show them the way and they follow that way then we can come closer to Christ in verse 16 and there were no envyings nor strifes nor tumults nor whoredoms nor lyings nor murders nor any manner of lasciviousness and surely there could not be a happier people among all the people who had been created by the hand of God it's fascinating how the moment we get rid of all sin, that there could not be a happier people. As we remove the sins from our own life, I promise you, I promise you, it, doesn't, it will not get rid of hardship. I can promise you that. But I promise you that you will feel a peace and you will feel a joy come into your life. And that spreads. That is contagious because the people in my life who are truly just happy people, just genuinely happy and joyous people, their lives are full of horrible horrible bad things that happen and yet they're still happy they're still they still have hope and joy and they're they have this amazing gift of being able to share it and my great grandma pearson was a huge example to me she spent her whole life having physical struggles right she was in in and out of hospitals always and and uh just went through a severe amount of difficulties and i don't remember a time seeing my grandma break down i don't remember her ever you know not giving words of encouragement and hope. And she was just a light to everyone around her. Even in the hospital in her final days, the nurses were like, every time we have to give her shots or have to go in and do, you know, whatever treatments, she's always thanking us, even though we know we're causing her a great deal of pain. She's just a truly angel woman. And her life was full of difficulties. And I look at that and I'm like, dude, I I freaking had to put my retainer back in because I... <laughs> I lost it and then I found it and I had to put it back in because my teeth started to come apart. And like, just after one night, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. And it made me grumpy. And I'm like, well, my grandma went through significantly worse things and yet she was able to have a happy attitude. So I need to be more like that. In verse 17, it reads, there were no robbers nor murders, neither were there Lamanites nor any manner of ites, but they were in one, the children of Christ and heirs to the kingdom of God. I think there are so many things that we have <clears throat> to separate us, uh, whether it be a political party, a religious group, a belief system, or whatever. Right? We have we have plenty of factions and groups and and things. Even like who you are rooting for for a a sports league, and all these things can separate us. And yet, rarely do we use these things. To, to bring us together. And so I think that's what it's pointing out here in this verse is that they were they were able to be one because they truly got rid of all the things that separated and, and defined them as different. Instead, they realized that they were united as children of Christ 
and heirs to the kingdom of God. Because that is the the thing that brings us all together. You know, we're not all the same, except we are the same because we're all children of God. So that's how we're able to celebrate our differences and also recognize that we're all on the same team, or at least we should be. So that's kind of what stuck out to me there. And then in the next chunk, wickedness leads to division and sorrow. Sadly, the Zion society described in 4th Nephi eventually unraveled. As you read in 4th Nephi 1, 19-49, look for the attitudes and behaviors that cause this society to fall apart. Do you see any signs of these attitudes or behaviors in yourself? Once again, focusing on, on me or on you. Uh, in verse 25 and 26. And from that time forth, they did have their goods and their substance no more common among them. And they began to be divided into classes and they began to build up churches unto themselves to get gain and began to deny the true church of God or church of Christ, excuse me. Uh, So once again, they've split. There's now division and they allowed the socioeconomic status of each other to to separate one another. Um, This allowed sin and pride to enter in and slowly start to to unravel this utopian that they had created. And then in verse 38, And it came to pass that, the, uh, that they who rejected the gospel were called Lamanites and Lemuelites and Ishmaelites, <laughs> Ishmaelites, and they did not dwindle in unbelief, but they did willfully rebel against the gospel of Christ. And they did teach their children that they should not believe, even as their fathers from the beginning did dwindle. Um, this reminded me of just, those that were at one time members and part of the church, and then they they leave, and then they attack, they attack members, and they attack the church, and they attack. I actually have a couple friends that are like this who, that like I'll see their posts on social media, and they cannot help but like almost once a week or more post something super negative and derogatory, and um, I'm just like, man, I hope you're you're happy, and I don't mean that in like like a a sarcastic or mean way it's really truly like like i really hope that you find happiness in whatever you want because to me dwelling on attacking others is not where my happiness lies or where my peace lies it if, if you didn't find peace in the in the gospel of jesus christ if you didn't find it in the church of jesus christ then i'm sorry and i truly do wish you well in finding what you're looking for um, i just don't think you're going to find it in continuously attacking what brings me peace and joy, right? Um, so that, that that was something that stuck out to me is that we are going to start seeing more and more division because that's in the scriptures. It says so that the wheat and the tares will be separated. And I think we don't need to try and breed that separation. I think that ends up putting us in the tear side, actually. But be it's one of those things of like, be prepared for it, expect it, but then do your part to create unity and to, to strive to bring others to Christ where we can be unified in one. Um, so it's this interesting, it's going to happen. You're going to see it more and more. Be prepared for it, but don't let it discourage you and, and tear down your faith. But instead, just recognize that it was a sign that was given. It helps you know where we're at in the, the timing of everything. And... Uh, and then increase your faith and increase others. So now let's go into the next section. Um, in the first chunk, 3 Nephi 27, 13 to 21. 
These verses can help family members better understand what the Savior meant when he referred to my gospel. After reading and discussing these verses, you could ask each family member to summarize what the gospel is in one sentence. And um, I loved these verses because I love just simple truth. That is, I mean, simple truth is doctrine. And so I love the doctrine. It's it's just beauty. It sings to my soul. <laughs> in, a, in, a, in the most poetic way I can give you, it sings to my soul. And... The verse that sticks out to me was in 15, where it says, And for this cause have I been lifted up. Therefore, according to the power of the Father, I will draw all men unto me, that they may be judged according to their works. Um, the reason this stuck out to me is because I had seen a social media post that someone had said, The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is false. Well, they actually call us Mormons. But they said is false because they believe that their works save them. I want to be very clear that I don't believe that, and I don't think that's actually the doctrine taught. Our works don't save us. We're saved by grace. It was because of Jesus Christ that we are saved. However, we will be judged according to our works. That's said multiple times through the scriptures. So it is not this, we believe we save ourselves because we work hard enough. That's not how that works. We are saved by grace because of Christ's atonement and what he did for us. We were already debtors. You can't save yourself from debt. Instead, he became the person to pay the debt on our behalf. And what he asks of us is to follow and keep his commandments. And as we do so, we can be joint heirs with Christ. And we will be able to dwell once again with our Father in heaven. So if I were to sum up the gospel, I guess that was it. If I had only one sentence, I would say that the gospel essentially is the teachings of Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ to help us return to live with Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. That to me is the gospel. And we do that through faith, repentance, baptism, receiving the Holy Ghost, and enduring to the end. In the next chunk, 3 Nephi 27, 23 to 26, how are we doing at recording the things we have seen and heard, individually or as a family? Why is it important to keep a record of spiritual things? And the verse that stuck out to me here was in verse 23. Write the things which ye have seen and heard, save it be those which are forbidden. And this, this commandment obviously was given to the disciples, but... It's clear that this commandment is also for us. How does this impact our lives? Is because we need to be recording and we need to be um, writing those things that we see in here. I have I've said this before. I'll say it again. I have a I have a spiritual journal that I keep where I write every spiritual experience that I have. And um, I mean it. It's amazing how much it helps me as I record everything. But then when I'm having a struggle in my faith or in my testimony and I can go and read that and know, oh, that's right. Like it's so easy for me to forget, but now that I'm reading it and I see that's right, God did answer my prayer and he answered my little prayers that really were super inconsequential and he answered them. I know he loves me and I know he's there for me. That helps boost my faith and it helps me stay strong and, and fight past whatever darts that Satan's throwing at me. And so I think that's why it's so important to be recording those things. It also, you know, as I'm able to read the journals of my ancestors and the spiritual experiences they have, that further strengthens my faith. So I know that one day my posterity will be able to read the experiences I had in the words at the time that they happened instead of just, uh, here's what I remember. And that'll be deeply meaningful to them. At least I hope so. I'm going to skip the next chunk. Um, although I do want to do this activity and then go into the next one, which is 3 Nephi 28, 17 to 18 and 36 to 40 versus stick out here was in 37. 
But behold, since I wrote, I have inquired of the Lord, and he hath made it manifest unto me, that there must needs be a change wrought upon their bodies, or else it needs be that they must taste of death. So this is talking about uh, Mormon's experience. And I'll read the chunks because that'll probably give better context. It says, what can we learn from Mormon's example when he did not understand everything about the change that happened to the three Nephite disciples? What can we do when we don't understand everything about a gospel principle? President Dieter F. Uchtdorf taught, God cares about you. He will listen and he will answer your personal questions. The answers to your prayers will come in his own way, in his own time. And therefore, you need to learn to listen to his voice. And so the reason this verse 37 stuck out to me is because this is revelation in action. He's literally saying, since I wrote... I inquired of the Lord, and this is what happened. Like, he's telling us the spiritual experiences as it happened. And the lesson here is that we need to learn to be patient. I've learned this lesson in particular for myself, especially this year, and I've talked about this, that often I am so impatient, and I just want to receive answers, and I want them now, and I don't want to have to wait, nor do I want to have to develop and grow to be able to receive those answers. I just want it right now, because I feel like that'll help my development, which is often not the case. Plus, it's God's ways, and so... If I want a true answer and I want it from God, then I have to be willing to have it come in God's timing and in his way. And I've truly learned and bear testimony that he He reveals his words to you when you are able to receive them. Receive them. And often, part of it's probably a test because if, if you're so impatient that you can't learn from him, <clears throat> he's not going to trust you with that revelation. That's something that I've learned, especially this year, is that if I truly, if I say I want to learn something and I want to understand further, and then I'm like, well, you didn't give it to me when I wanted, right? I'm just being a ungrateful child. So he's not going to trust me with that information that I'm seeking. Instead of as I humble myself and be willing to do it in his way, I have received the answers that I was seeking. Um, for example, one of the big questions that I had been asking this year is, is what does success look like for my life? Um, how do I define that? And how do I follow that? And I felt lost for many months on this and finally received specific answers, very specific answers on, on how I can lead a successful life, how I can look back on my life and say, I did indeed have a successful life. And I'm so grateful for that. It just took time and it was hard and I hated it because <laughs> it was a struggle, but I'm so extremely grateful that he allowed me to struggle because it was through that struggle that I actually did find the answers I needed and I, and I understood them and I don't believe I would have understood them without that struggle. And the next chunk, fourth Nephi one fifteen, it says to reduce contention in your home, perhaps family members could set a goal to be more loving to each other this week. After the week is over, review your progress together, discuss how showing greater love has affected your family. Verse 15 reads, and it came to pass that there was no contention in the land because of the love of God, which to dwell in the hearts of the people. This is truly how we do it. In my opinion, this is how we create a utopian society. Is first we start with ourselves, as we remove the contentions from ourselves, as we as we work on developing our relationship with Christ. Uh, we will indeed have that relationship with Christ. He will give us revelation daily through the Holy Ghost. We will start to learn exactly how He communicates with us, in what ways. We will learn further truths, and we will be able to to use that and bless the lives of our family as we strive to make our homes a utopian place. And I know, look, I've got two young kids, okay? Most days I'm like, this looks more like a den from hell than a heaven. And and I love, look, I love it because I love the chaos. I didn't really have the chaos growing up. And so having, 
having my own kids where I'm like, this is awesome. Um, but as, as I know that as in my family, as me and Lex try to work on creating that, that beautiful home where the love of God dwells always with us and it dwells with our children, we will create that utopian um, home, right? That temple, our, our own temple will create it. And it'll, it's done as we all work together in our family. As we do that, we can be a greater influence on our extended family. We can then be a greater influence on the communities that we're in. And, and so you get it, right? It's, <clears throat> it all starts with us. It starts with you. What are you doing? What are your specific actions that you are trying to do to come closer to Christ? Not, not how can your spouse be better? How can your children be better? How can your, your mother, your father, your whoever, your boss, who you're, it's not about what other people can be doing. It's what can you be doing? And as you focus on what you can be doing, I promise you, because it happened to me and it happened recently, as I made that shift and focused on what I could be doing to improve my life and my situation, God is more than willing to provide you those answers. And typically, at least for me, more often than not, I have found that I was actually contributing a lot to my own problems, and he helped me to understand what I can be doing to remove those and be stop being a stumbling block for myself. I love this conclusion in the Improved Personal Study. It says, don't think of gospel study as something you make time for, but as something you are always doing. And you're always doing that as you are constantly studying the things that you're learning. And I think what I'm going to do to try and improve on that is, because I think it's a process, I do think it's fine to to set a time to study. I think that, um, like, it's just not, it's not like be perfect at studying all at once, right? But be making a goal to shift it past just the, I'm, I'm going to study for 30 minutes at 8 a.m. And then I'm going to move on with my day. Think of it more as like, I'm going to set this time to try and, and learn and study and grow. And I'm going to pull out one truth that I want to think about and ponder, something that I can improve upon today and make goals today. That's what I'm going to do for myself anyway. You can do whatever you want. Some scriptures that stick out to me, one was in verse 28. <clears throat> uh, excuse me, chapter 28, and it was verse 3. It says, And he said unto them, Blessed are ye, because of ye desire this thing of me. Therefore, after that ye are seventy and two years old, ye shall come unto me in my kingdom, and with me ye shall find rest. Talking to the, the uh, disciples. What a random age. Why 70 and 2? Does anyone have any answers for me? Because that is the most random age. Like, could have been 75. Could have been I, just 72. What's that about? And then in 25, it says, behold, verse 25, I, <clears throat> Behold, I was about to write the names of those who were never to taste of death, but the Lord forbade, therefore I write them not, for they are hid from the world. Like I said, I'm still guessing it was Nephi, Timothy, and Jonas. Just my guess. If I was a betting man, I'm not. But if I was, those are my guesses. In verse 30, it says, And they are as the angels of God. And if they shall pray unto the Father in the name of Jesus, they can show themselves unto, who, and unto whatsoever man it seemeth them good. Um, <clears throat> it's through this that I actually believe that the three Nephites and John the Revelator were pivotal through the apostasy in helping to sow the seeds of, of the gospel. Obviously, the priesthood had been removed from the uh, from the world but but these four people weren't and so i think the reason good things were still happening other than just good people in general but was that these four continued their work and were ministering to those on the earth in chapter 29 verse 2 
it says, and you may know that the words of the Lord, which have been spoken by the holy prophets, shall all be fulfilled. And you, and you need not say that the Lord delays his coming unto the children of Israel. <clears throat> this is talking about the coming forth of the Book of Mormon being uh, one of the signs before Christ's second coming. But I think of this, uh, the, the specific part that sticks out to me was that we need not say he del delays his coming because I think it could probably feel like that. But we obviously don't need to feel that. We are seeing signs constantly that his coming is coming. <laughs> and I think as we learn to look for those signs and as we understand them, we can we can look forward with anticipation when he does come and reveals himself once again and is able to be the king of this earth. And so, yeah, I remember as a teenager, that was actually something that I was super passionate about studying about the signs of the second coming. And <clears throat> I, I, I'm, it's been so long that I can't say that I'm an expert anymore. I, as a 16 year old, I certainly felt like it, but, uh, yeah, I need to, to get back into that state of mind. In fourth Nephi is, uh, verse six, it says, and thus did the 30 and eighth year pass away and also the 30 and ninth and 40 and first. And I just want to stop there and say, where's the 40th year? We just skipped it. I don't even know what happened. Was there something pivotal that happened that we missed? We'll never know. Thanks a lot, Mormon. You skipped it. In fourth Nephi verse 19. Uh, and this is the last verse I have for you. And it came to pass that Nephi, he that kept this last record, and he kept it upon the plates of Nephi, died. And his son Amos kept it in his stead, and he kept it upon the plates of Nephi also. Yeah, I'm not buying it. I don't think Nephi died. Like I said, I already had my guess that he became one of the three Nephites. I could be wrong, and that's fine. It's not going to ruin my testimony in any way. But I'm thinking it's just weird that previ previous to this, it talks about the passing of the disciples. And then later down, it says, oh, and then Nephi died. Mm, did he now? Did he? I thought he was supposed to pass away at 72 years. So you would have known that he passed away with the others. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Anyway, <laughs> I've always thought that that was like uh, something to throw people off. And I was like, nice try, Mormon. I'm on to you and your, your wily ways. Well, that's all I got for you. So thank you for joining me in this family room discussion. And please share your ideas, questions, and insights that you gained from 3rd Nephi 27 to 4th Nephi with me. Follow me on Instagram at Family Room Discussions if you aren't already doing so. Until we meet again, have a blessed week.